It was the beginning of the legendary Ace Cafe, 1938, just before the Second World War on the outskirts of London, England. A roadside diner catering to hungry truckers, travelers, and eventually motorcyclists, where 24 hours a day you could stop in for a plate of good food and take a break from the road. It caught on quickly, the business grew, but just two years into it, the Second World War had begun when an air raid bomb meant for the nearby rail yards struck the cafe, killing no one, but completely destroying the diner. The dust had hardly settled before they had a temporary building up and the Ace Cafe operating again. And later, they would rebuild it, and it would become an iconic gathering place for rebel teenagers looking for thrills after World War II. It grew into a a crazy scene like something out of the Wild West, They would drop a coin in a jukebox, run outside, jump on their motorcycles, race to a predetermined turning point, and try to return before the song ended. It was the beginning of what was called the Ton Up Boys, a name for a seemingly endless stream of daring, even reckless riders that would push their bikes over 100 mile per hour racing down public streets. And many of those riders were killed in horrible crashes while they tried to outdo one another. And the Ton Up Boys and rock and roll earned the Ace Cafe a reputation as a rough and tumble hangout for bikers. And even with the bad reputation and the crashes, they kept coming. Motorcycles jammed the parking lot as they socialized, fought, and raced as well as ate at the cafe. That was until motorcycle sales peaked at the end of the 50s. Then, all that excitement fizzled away with the introduction of the Mini. A tiny car that was cheaper to buy than a Triumph Bonneville and kept you warm and dry in the cold weather. It was sort of a shift in society, the thinking and ideals. More people began driving cars... And by 1969, the Ace Cafe became a memory, turning off the coffee makers and grill and locking the door. It was the end of an era. The building remained, and it would eventually be turned into a tire shop, servicing all those cars that were now on the road. The Ace Cafe would return, though, but not for another 25 years when a mounted policeman and motorcycle enthusiast named Mark Wilsmore organized a 25-year reunion of the closing of the Ace Cafe. What happened at that event would drive Mark to reopen the Ace Cafe and fuel Ace Cafe locations in Barcelona, Beijing, Finland, Switzerland, and Orlando. And this resurrection firmly established the Ace Cafe in motorcycle history. My name's Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. Stay with us. We got a good one for you. Max BMW Motorcycles has been outfitting adventure riders since 2002. 45,000 parts and accessories available online and ready to ship to your door at maxbmw.com. And you can sign up for their e-rider newsletter too. It's free. maxbmw.com. That's maxbmw.com. Best Dress Products is home of the Cycle Pump Tire Inflator, Tire and bead Breaker, Easy Air Tire Gauge, and other adventure motorcycle gear. Whether you're on the road or off the road, you're going to want a compact and reliable tire inflation method, and the Cycle Pump runs right off your bike's electrical system. It'll inflate your flat tire in less than three minutes. It's the one we use here at Adventure Rider Radio, made in the USA, and comes with a lifetime warranty. And Motorcycle Consumer News Magazine just chose the Cycle Pump as their top pick in a compressor shakedown. Their website, www.cyclepump.com. I'm Sam Manicum. Nick Sanders. Terry Borden. Sandy Borden. Jack Borden. Graham Field. Austin Vince. Jason Spafford. Lisa Murray. David Peterson. Rachel. Ed March. Glenn Hickstead. Dr. Gregory W. Fraser. Dave Barr. Michelle Lampier. Tiffany Coates. Herbert Schwartz. Zoe Cannell. Nathan Millward. Graham Hoskins. Joe Ross. Jeremy Craker. Simon Thomas. Lisa Thomas. Simon Pavey. Grant Johnson. Robert Wick. Seth Simon. Elizabeth Martin. Carol DeVell. And you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. 
Green Chili Adventure Gear offers American-made, heavy-duty, innovative luggage systems for all types of motorcycles. Turn any dry bag into motorcycle luggage using their unique strapping system. And of course, Green Chili Adventure Gear is all tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse of adventure riding. And that has gained them a top reputation for tough, reliable gear. www.greenchiliadv.com That's www.greenchiliadv.com the MotoBreeze chain oiler is powered by wind pressure that automatically adjusts for speed. No electrical or vacuum connections. It delivers oil to your chain with a felt pad that's mounted on your swing arm, which eliminates the problems of exposed nozzles near your sprockets. Get more miles from your chain and sprockets and forget about the messy spray oil. www.motobreeze.com. That's two eyes in there. www.motobreeze.com. The Ace Cafe is an icon for motorcycling in its heyday, and it still is today for many riders around the world. The original location was in London, England, and very likely it would still be a place to get your car tires changed if it weren't for Mark Willsmore, a mounted policeman and petrol head that saw an opportunity where others just saw tires. place gets described by different people of different age groups and in all sorts of different ways but really the place is today just as it was when it first opened in 1938 a transport cafe in North America would be a, a diner on a fast and usually very very busy stretch of carriageway a pull-in for trucks and drivers um, through the ages back in the, the day as it's termed that post-war period of a baby boom generation became very popular with the youngsters with their motorbikes. And that's sort of part and parcel of the place's heritage today. And, and that is a direct consequence of that baby boom, having a bit of money and going out buying the fastest vehicles they could afford, which unlike in America at that same time in the 50s and into the 60s, kids in the States were, were buying cars here the kids couldn't quite afford those they bought the same motorbikes and the combination of huge swathe of youngsters buying bikes together with there then being no speed limits on this particular stretch of carriageway and no training requirement um kids would be racing each other and, and, and dying in very considerable numbers and therefore coming to some notoriety for those dangerous antics that they, they were doing, racing on, on public carriageway. Uh, and the term tun-up boy came to be coined. And of course, from 56 onwards, there was a soundtrack for them. Rock and roll had arrived from the States. In those early days of rock and roll here in the UK, there was only one radio station, and that was the BBC. They didn't play it. So the only place you could hear this then new music was on jukeboxes in transport cafes. And of course, the Ace had a jukebox that um, would be playing this then new music, which was coming into the country through all the GIs stationed here. There were thousands of GIs stationed very close to here. And that was the soundtrack of, of a generation. Between the two world wars, there was a huge 
redevelopment, if you like, and an expansion of London. The railway companies were seeing their incomes um, disappearing, and they hatched this idea to buy up the then empty farmland alongside the railways as they stretched out of London and build homes on them. And there's a huge building program after the First World War, and it gave us what we have today, a great suburban sprawl. And the idea on the part of the railway companies was to shift people in and out of London. That would give them traffic and, and income. And, and as part of that huge expansion, a chap whose name eludes me for the moment bought us this parcel of land where the cafe is. And at this same time, the government of the day developed a quite a radical program of road building and road improvement. And the tale is, as I understand it, that an entrepreneur and cafe owner called Vic Edenborough had, for some reason, this bright idea to open a cafe on that parcel of land. The upshot was the Ace Cafe, the Ace Services, the Ace Filling Station, the Ace Motor Showrooms. Huge, really likely have been the biggest motor and centre, almost like a truck stop on the highways in the States or on our motorway network here in the UK today. Huge site. And that all opened in 1938. Very few people owned private motor cars, but as the war came about in 1939, um, in November 1940, which is just as the what's come to be known as the Blitz was getting underway, raiders, enemy raiders came over. Um, you can see that the cafe wasn't the object of the target, but it was all the railway bridges immediately adjacent to the cafe. Um, but they missed and they flattened everything that was ace. Fortunately, no one was killed in that raid, but it entirely destroyed all that was here. Temporary buildings went up very quickly and the place continued to operate for 24 hours every day and to be open throughout the war years. And um, this new building finally opened in 1948. So it's a post-war building, not the one that was here pre-war. So what happened between 1948 and 1969 when it ended up closing its doors for a while? Well, there's this baby boom that both sides Atlantic um, experienced, and, and, and that certainly here in the UK, it was the biggest baby boom ever in history. And th- those kids drove the economies of, of the 50s and into the 60s. It was all about tomorrow and what's the best and the latest, the fastest. Um, The place thrived with that then new generation taking to motorcycling and and bike sales went up and up and up each year through to 1959 where they reached their peak. I can't remember the numbers, but they're astronomical numbers of motorcycles being sold. But in 59, a couple of things occurred, which with the passage of more time had very considerable effect and one was that in 1959 uh, Triumph brought out their then new Bonneville but a new car came out here in the UK called the Mini and that car was cheaper than a Triumph Bonneville. The British Motor Corporation's Mini Minor. The 850cc engine is mounted across the car in both versions of this newcomer. Simplicity of design and instrumentation has been used to keep down cost. Round about 500 is mentioned as the price. Performance is said to include a top speed of 70 miles an hour, and the Mini should cruise at 50 miles to the gallon. 
Altogether, these little cars are expected to play a prominent part in the battle for supremacy with their rival Continental babies. So, 17-year-olds very quickly would be buying cars rather than motorbikes, not just because they're cheaper, but because of our weather. It's much easier to persuade a girl to get into a car and go out with you than get on the back of a motorbike. So car, car sales from 59 onwards start to skyrocket. Motorcycle sales, as they have done to this date, have, have gone off a cliff. The other big change in 1959 is the advent of today's motorway network. And the primary north-south route from London is about a mile from these premises. So truck traffic started to reduce, as well as trucks, you know, the HGVs, as I've termed, or semis in the States. You know, a tank full of gas now on a modern truck, they don't have to stop as often as they did. So it changes the equation. It totally changed the equation. So the whole tapestry is changing. It's and that has knock-on effects to to businesses such as here, which by the time you get to 1969 and financial problems for the nation being experienced in the latter part of the 60s, where Britain was repaying war debts to the US, they were suspended for a couple of years, I think, in the 60s. They have now been paid off, I'm sure your listeners, they were paid off a couple of years ago, finally. Oddly enough, I think, I think it was just as the, the economies all fell over in 2008 was the last payment to the US. Um, but the government found itself short of cash and they brought in what I would can only think they could call punitive taxation. So the punitive taxation hit businesses big time. No profits, all profits being consumed by, by the state. Without profits, the, the, the building and, and the that the service here all rapidly went downhill and you know, flooded, broken and flooded toilets, lights not being replaced and peeling paintwork, kitchen equipment failed, all, the, all that sort of catalogue of problems that go with lack of cash to put into a business. And eventually, in 69, the um, chap who'd started it all, Vic Edinburgh, had turned, I think he turned 70. So he decided to sell each of those elements that constituted the ACE, the cafe, the filling station, the motor work, each piece he sold off separately and, and retired. But his son, as I say, I know really, really rather well, tells me that his dad was horrified to see two weeks later that the, the old cafe had been closed and stripped out and turned into a tyre fitting depot. But that brings us round nicely to this change in um, motoring, because by 1969, something like a third of households in the UK had a car. And the changes brought about by the Mini and then subsequently by Ford with their Escort meant, meant that car ownership uh, was the norm. And of course, all these new cars on the road needed tyres. So there's a commercial reason why the well, the new owners thought, ah, oh, we'll make more money out of selling tyres to all these millions of cars that are now using the road. And that is really what, what ensured that the cafe wasn't flattened entirely and, and totally re rebuilt as something else. Is the economics of the day helped ensure it stayed here until it was, sounds so conceited, but until I came along with this bright idea to reopen it. 
but before it closed, before 1969, you'd spotted it as a kid and, and sort of captured your eye back then. Well, yeah, it, it, it's the ace for sure. Um, but it's more a case of, um, wow, that's the place that's all the bikes. I wanted a motorbike and I want to be able to go there one day. And or, or it, it, it's, I'm of the age group where here in, here in the UK and probably the same as your side of the Atlantic that you, you arrive at school as a uh, primary school here up to 11 years old. But the schooling system here for my generation was you went to a, one school up to 11 years of age from 11, you then went to a different school where you then left at 15, but up to 11 years of age, uh, that time of my childhood, you were either a cowboy or an Indian, a mod or a rocker. Um, they, they were your you know, playground choices. A mod or a rocker? What, is it, what are those two things? I mean, I know what a rocker is, but... A mod. The mod mods came along in, in the very early 60s. The laws change, speed limits come in, and there's a limit on the size of two-wheeler that you can ride. 250cc limit, frothy coffee machines, Italian styling, Italian suits, and kids are leaving school and getting a job and buying a new suit every week because cloths come off of rationing, fashion is burgeoning, and the scooter companies, Lambretta and Vespa, realise that their machines are under 250cc. They pitch their machines at this new audience and the kids are described as being modernists, hence mods. And what comes to a head in, or comes to notoriety is that which unfolds in 1964. On the public holidays, with half decent weather, you've got, for the first time ever, that you've got masses of kids who've got their own means of transport. They don't have to catch trains, they don't have to catch buses, they've got their own means of transport. You've got the slightly older lot, perhaps in their 20s, with motorbikes, the ton-up boys, and you've got all these youngsters, the mods, with their scooters. And if you're sat where I am here in North London, and glorious summer's uh, evening, say on a Friday, you've finished work, you meet up with your mates at the cafe, ah, oh, it's lovely weather, isn't it? et cetera, et cetera. What should we do? What should we do? And it someone will suggest, well, let's go to Brighton or probably um, South End. They're the two sort of seaside destinations from where I'm sat right now, about an hour away. Uh, and masses of kids got the same sort of ideas. You know, the coast is only an hour away with your own vehicle. And, of course, the seaside towns were overwhelmed with kids. Kids start fighting. <laughs> and, 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 and the press got nothing else to write about in those summer months. And of course, only a few years earlier, their, their dads and their uncles and whatnot um, were trying to keep the enemy off those beaches. And yet, a few years on, their kids uh, running amok all over those self-same beaches, which not that long ago, Churchill was saying, we're going to be fighting to defend them. The national outcry and the press come up with the term rockers listening to rock and roll and, and it, it, all, all these um, youth cults the kids don't come up with the names it's the it's the press that label them 
be it the say tan up mod rocker punk skinhead they're all they're all terms coined by the press there's a term of contempt and the kid sees it and goes oh yeah how do i be one of them oh what have i got to listen to what i've got to wear <laughs> i've got to have my hair cut so coming up into 94 was a, a sort of a, a 25 year reunion or at least that's what you discovered can you talk about that for sure the the, the reunion the first reunion was in 1994 it was 25 years after the place had closed and how it came about is I was a member and still am to stay of the Triumph Owners Motorcycle Club and and one of the guys at the club uses to take the mick somewhat very effectively and he was saying to me one evening in 1993 asked me did I know when the A shut which I didn't I knew it had been open, of course. I could vaguely remember it from my childhood. I didn't know when it had been shut. And he took the mickey no end. And that's because I was, whilst being in the cop and all the rest of it, into my bikes, I I was organising pre-internet, pre-mobile phone, I was organising bike trips to all sorts of race tracks and race meetings, and Isle of Man TT, the Dutch TT, the Boldor down in south of France. And, And these bike trips grew and grew over the years, and it'd be about 30 bikes on, on some of them. So I was a, something of a bit of a Mr. Organiser. And, and the, the friend at Triumph Owners full well knew this. And, and eventually he, he told me that the calf shut in September 69. And my first thought was, so what? He kept on to me to say, think about it. And in the course of thinking about it, I suddenly realised, counting my fingers, that the following year, 94, it would be 25 years since it had closed. And that was the light bulb moment. Ah, reunion. There's something like 12,000 bikes gathered. 12,000? <laughs> Did you expect those sorts of numbers? In reality, yes. We had to plan for that. We had to get, you know, sort of, what you call them, temporary toilets in, crowd barriers, all sorts of stuff. It, it might sound barking, but if you're my age group, if you're from London and you ride motorbikes and rock and roll, you, you, you'd it immediately know what this place meant. So you, you kind of knew what would that it would resonate with people and they'd all want to come, and, and, and that proved to be right in the end. And, and, of course, what also then unfolds is that We'd love to see the place reopened. Don't know how, but all of a sudden you've then got the evidence that the place should be reopened. There's all these people. You know, take plenty of pictures and video, and we made you know, other friends filmed it and whatnot. So we then had the evidence to to show that the place should be reopened. So the the path thereafter was apply for if you like the city authority for permission, consent to to reopen as a cafe. Uh, then try and persuade the owners to sell it. And then there's the horror of trying to find the money to buy it. And um, that's where, where um, you, you set out to go and rob your family, your, your mum, your grand, your brother, your sister, <laughs> to, get the, to get the deposit. And, and that all came together with, with the benefit of hindsight, with, with, with relative ease, because there was an occupier in the building, the tyre company, still fitting tyres to cars, and, and, and their rent, in essence, paid the mortgage. But we had secured the building, 
And, of course, that tyre company didn't operate on a Sunday. So when the consent came through from the city that yeah, it could be reopened as a CAF, um, we started on opening up on a Sunday with, we call it a burger van over here. I think you'd call it a roach wagon over there <laughs> on, a, on a Sunday. And, and again, the place was mobbed with thousands of bikes. And then you start getting the calls, letters, and subsequently with the advent of internet, emails from diverse array of you know, car clubs, open up for them, open up for them. And, and, and so it then became a case to try to find, re- realising that, uh, so I've drawn a parallel with the bikes, I, I can ride any bike you give me, or for that matter, any horse you give me, but I'm neither a mechanic nor a vet. So it became very clear that actually I know why people come here. I kind of know what they want, but I've no idea how how to deliver on that. So it was then a case of finding people who did. And that's where the, the East Cafe London Limited came about and finding partners who could come into the business with, with, with knowledge about how to cook eggs and how to make sure staff know how to uh, stack toast. For someone pulling in today, can you sort of just describe what it looks like as you come in the parking lot and then go in the building? Well, as you come into the um, parking lot, you, you're looking at a building that's in essence an elevation of glass that is directly south-facing. Um, the, the, the shape of the, that parking lot as a triangle means as soon as you pull in, you're looking at this, I would suggest, rather impressive building of a style that I think is known as streamlined modern, sort of art deco type style. And it has a presence. It's the only way I can think to describe. It has a presence. So as you look across the parking lot, at all the glass of the building. You can see directly into the building and those in the building can see directly out into that parking lot and onto the carriageway beyond. And um, it's that relationship between the building and the the space that it overlooks that uh, seems to me has been quite crucial in in engendering that, um, I'm going to say the popularity with youngsters in, in particular back in the 50s and 60s when it was largely a motorcycle crowd, those youngsters were, um, in addition to it being back then, as I say, a truck stop. Whereas today, with the trucks, or as they're known over here, HGVs, heavy goods vehicles, most of those, just like I think perhaps called in America the, the semis, yeah, you could get one in our parking lot, but you couldn't get many more than that. So the vehicles have grown a lot bigger over the years. So the the footfall here, Monday to Friday, we can have a very busy lunchtime with um, white collar guys coming in, sort of reps and whatnot, meeting up for lunch, and the place can be absolutely jammed for an hour or so lunchtime in the car park field. Then it goes very quiet until we get to the evening when it's then when we host whatever the vehicle meets are of that particular night, whether it's hot rod night, whether it's Harley night whether it's Volkswagen night, et cetera. Each of those groups that we host have typically a very distinct demographic in terms of age and and, and whatnot. And different, I'll say, characteristics go with that. And I'll over-egg it a little here with guys my age, I'm 60, we tend not to be um, the fast and furious generation. 
So we will come in for a meal, something to eat, and go home quite safely. Whereas a, a younger crowd typically will come in, it's noise, engine revving, sound systems are going, and buy perhaps we'll call it a bowl of chips or a, a bowl of fries to share between four. So there's there's different dynamics with the different age groups we meet. But hopefully you've got some sort of idea there with with the, the sort of place that we have here and, and operate here in North London. me many many moons ago that what the ace kind of represents is it's a home for those of us who love these things called motors and certainly here in North London the ace has become a home for the, those that share that passion and similarly that's what's unfolded in the last few years with ace fantastic huge premises in Orlando similarly in Beijing in China and it's basically where, where there's motors and people want to get together and kick tires and talk tall tales who's fastest who's got the best paint job it's the same it's the same talk just lots of different languages was Mark Willsmore from the Ace Cafe in London and stick with us because we're going to take a short break and then we're going to be right back with Sam Manicom who also has had some experience with the Ace Cafe. Spring is coming up in the Northern Hemisphere, um, and you're probably doing some work on your bike or thinking about what you should order and what you should uh, do to your bike to fix it up for the season, like people often do. And I'll tell you, if you want to spend money on something that's going to make a difference, then look at your foot pegs, because a new set of IMS foot pegs will make a huge difference for your ride, your connection, your stability, and your control for the motorcycle. And IMS has a range of ADV pegs that are designed specifically for adventure riding. And I mean specifically. These things are designed for what we do. They're not adapted from something else. They've got a whole range of pegs, though. No matter what you want, they've got something for you. They've got sharp teeth and and uh, dull teeth, I guess you could say. Depends on what style riding you do. They've got large platforms, like super large platforms, and then smaller ones. Definitely wider pegs will make a huge difference for you. Um, I'm riding with them myself. They look great, and they're made in the USA, and they're warrantied for life. I'd I seriously, I don't know how you could go wrong. Drop by their website, www.imsproducts.com. And when you do, Tell them that Adventure Rider Radio sent you there so that they know it's working for them. www.imsproducts.com Sam, welcome back to Adventure Rider Radio. 
Jim, it's absolutely brilliant to be on the show again. Well, we're talking about something that's right in, I guess it's sort of in your backyard, isn't it? The Ace Cafe. How close are you to the Ace Cafe? Well, I guess it's about um, 200 miles. So it's um, more or less four hours, depending on the traffic. Because, hey, England's um, pretty messed up traffic-wise sometimes. So what is it like? You know, if, if for, for someone who hasn't been there, sort of describe it as you, as you pull in the parking lot and then go in the door. Okay. Uh, well, the parking lot is an interesting place in, its, in itself because in a way it's not a parking lot. It's an area that is usually filled with passion. I'm talking about classic cars and hot rods and ca- classic bikes and custom bikes and touring bikes and adventure bikes and scooters and, and so on. There's always something interesting going on immediately outside the Ace Cafe. So it's actually kind of like a wheeled extension to the inside of the cafe. So when you walk up and you go inside, what are you greeted by? You know, it's a little bit like you're entering a time warp, but it's incredibly unpretentious. And this is the real deal. It's not something um, new that's been made to look old. The first time I went in there, the, the sensation that I had was that history was literally oozing from the walls. And um, walking around looking at the memorabilia that are, um, that's on the walls, um, you can see that this stuff is genuine. As you walk in there, um, you've also got the, the, the sensation that the atmosphere is, is a combination of steamy and amiable, as in it's really friendly, but you've got this, um, this wonderful collection of smells that float through the air. And of course, if it's, um, it's a rainy day, then you've got steaming bike leathers and Gore-Tex to go in with the mix too. <laughs> The cafe itself is actually set up with um, a long bar. I guess it runs about two-thirds of the length of the building, and it's here that um, those orders for the steaming mugs of tea and coffee and um, the famous for good reason full English breakfast are taken. And they do burgers and things and um, poached eggs on toast and all of that sort of thing too. But the quality of the food is excellent. And that's where um, it's not forgotten its roots because of course the Ace Cafe originally was set up as a, a transport caf and truck drivers, well, they won't patronise a place if the food isn't cheap and very good value. And most of the tables in the cafe are wooden bench tables. So you just sit where there's a space. And that's one of the things that's um, really special about it because new friendships are stuck up fast just because you're sitting next door to a like-minded stranger and then the conversation starts to flow. At the far end of the cafe, there's um, another little section which has a stage at the far end of it. And on the stage, there's normally a collection of classic motorcycles from the mods and rockers era. Or if you're there in the evening, then inevitably there's going to be a band of some sort up on the stage. It's not a huge area, so the band might have a maximum of four people, but you certainly don't need any more than that. And they get um, a very wide range of bands from very well known to local people who are just up and coming. They're a very encouraging sort of environment. Well, how do you feel the Ace Cafe sort of fits into society as far as, you know, from a biker's perspective? Well, actually, it's, it's a really important part of society, um, particularly London society. The world of motorcycling in London just wouldn't be the same without the Ace Cafe. For want of using a, a bit of a cliche, it's um, one of the beating hearts of motorcycling in the south of England. And I can say that without any tongue in cheek at all. It genuinely is like that. And I think it started to be that way way back just after the Second World War. 
it had been popular before that, but the real popularity came with the time of the Tan Up Boys. And these guys, well, a lot of them were survivors from the military of one form or another. And after the Second World War, these guys fell out of out of place. But they found their place in motorcycling. And rock and roll was very much the music. The uniform that they took on board was the black leather and the blue jeans. And their lives were just wild and full of danger, which is just a natural follow-on from the Second World War. But um, music was the rhythm to their life, and I always like to think that um, their drug of choice was speed. And it still remains that way, in, but in a much more subtle fashion. I mean, to get to the Ace Cafe, you go on a road that's called the North Circular, and this road is a challenge. For sure, you're not going to daydream when you're heading for the Ace Cafe. I, always, I think of it as being a little bit like um, being in the gold rush must have been, but with unpredictable speed limits and speed cameras. Oh, and plenty of idiots talking on their cell phones or texting, <laughs> I'm, and that drives me nuts. But it just means that you know when you're heading to the Ace Cafe, then yeah, you're you're firing on all mental cylinders as you scoot round on a bike, and of course you can split lanes, which makes getting there when all the cars are snarled up. Um, a real joy. But, um, you know, it was that period, I think, that really started the whole Ace Cafe thing off with such a huge influence. And Mark Wilsmore and his wife, Linda, have just done such a phenomenal job with bringing it back to life. Um, he just saw something that was very special that had been allowed to die for various reasons, and he's brought it back to life. And yeah, it's a, an absolutely wonderful place. What was it like your first time going there? Um, I remember walking in there feeling incredibly self-conscious. You know, I'm, I'm not a rocker and I'm far from being a motorcycling expert. But, you know, I didn't need to feel self-conscious at all. Within minutes of me walking in, people who were clad in all sorts of motorcycle gear were nodding to me. And yeah, you know, sometimes there's a little bit of snobbery between different types of motorcycle riders and so on. But... I didn't detect any of that at all there. It was just a very welcoming environment. Um, yeah, very, very special. So what does the Ace Cafe mean to you? It's actually had a massive effect to my life in many ways. Not only did it make me feel important as a person, as a motorcyclist, but my two books, Distant Suns and Tortillas to Totems, were launched there. And this is something that's very special about how Mark and Linda do things, because here I am, I've got two books out, they're not particularly well known, yet they were prepared to give over the whole of the Ace Cafe to me to launch those two books. And just the atmosphere that was created and the subsequent success of the books happened because they gave me that opportunity. And the next time that it affected my life in particular was as far as um, my audiobooks. And I'd spent two years hunting for a studio that would let me narrate my books. And all the studios were telling me that it was a job for a trained actor or for a professionally trained narrator. And, well, I was neither of those, but I wanted to read the books myself. But I was beginning to get to the end of the recording studios that had a reputation for audiobooks and beginning to feel a little bit of, well, you know, maybe this just isn't supposed to happen. Um, one day I went into the Ace Cafe and I was sitting at one of the bench tables and got talking to the guy next door to me and he sort of, he looked at me and he said, um, you're Sam, aren't you? And I said, well, yeah. And he said, well, I read Into Africa and I liked it a lot. Have you ever thought about making it into an audiobook? 
So there was a little pause from me then, and then I explained the situation to him, and it turned out that he was the managing director of a recording studio in Cambridge. And he said, well, let's have a go. It may be that you're completely rubbish at it, but at least then you'll know. And so all four audio books were recorded just because of that chance meeting in the Ace Cafe when I was about to be at the stage where I was beginning to think, right, what's next? So, yeah, the Ace Cafe is very important to me and to so many more people. You know, people look for... Wish they could go for a ride today. Well, why don't we go to the Ace Cafe? Anybody fancy breakfast? And you see these going around on the forums and Facebook and so on and so often the Ace Cafe pops up and with very good reason. Sam Manicom from his home in London near the Ace Cafe. And before that, it was Mark Willsmore from the Ace Cafe in London, England. And you can drop by their website, www.acecafe.com, to find out about all their locations and their history. They've got a great website there. Go check it out. Of course, that link will be in our show notes. I just want to remind you this episode was made possible for you today in part by Max BMW Motorcycles at www.maxbmw.com, Best Rest Products at www.cyclepump.com, Green Chili Adventure Gear at www.greenchiliadv.com, and Moto Breeze Chain Oilers, www.motobreeze.com. Well, that about wraps up another episode of Adventure Rider Radio, and we sure hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it. Special thanks to our producer, Elizabeth Martin, and of course to you, the listener. Thank you very much for being a part of this. You can drop by our website and listen to all of our episodes for free. It's all there with a bunch of show notes. And don't forget, as of January this year, we've started doing transcripts. So if you're interested in something we've said, you want to check on it, you want to reread it or, or rehear it, well, you can reread it at this point. Anyway, go to the website, check out the show notes for each episode. The transcripts are there and you can have a look and read through. Don't forget about the other show we do called ARR Raw, roundtable discussions about motorcycle travel and a bunch of other things. Basically, anything that crosses our mind. That's a once a month show, separate. You need to subscribe separately, all available on the website. And if you like what we're doing, you want to help the show out, it's built on a model of advertising and listener support to help make it happen. And we really appreciate the listener support. We've signed up for Patreon, so you can go there and, and do monthly support, which is the absolute best because then we can count it each month. Anything $10 or more is going to get you a sticker if you go to the support button on the website site and i think 50 dollars or more is going to get you a mention on our raw show so drop by the website check it out see what we've got to offer otherwise just listen to the show we really appreciate you being a part of it just by listening to it if you uh, choose not to support or you don't want to um thank you anyway my name's jim martin now it's time to get out there and ride your bike ride safe see you next week hi 
this is Elspeth Beard and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. 